0: to Refuge podcast, a weekly Bible study for young adults at Calvary Chapel, San Juan Capistrano. Cool. Let's jump into it. Um, Psalm 27, verse 8. Go ahead and turn and... uh, I know we've gone over Psalm 27 probably twice. This might be the third time we're going into Psalm 27 again. Um, But tonight, we're just focusing on verse 8. So it's going to be a really fun study as we just tear this verse apart and dive really deep into it and use the Bible as in commentary on this verse. So here we go. Verse 8, chapter 27, it says, My heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I am coming. Now, I'm reading from the NLT version. Those of you who have ESV or maybe NIV, it might say, you have said, seek my face. And my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek? Either way, it's this beautiful verse where God is inviting us into relationship with him. He's inviting us to come and talk with him, inviting us to come and seek his face. Here, the word seek is actually the way it's written. Um, to seek is addressed to more than one person. That's you and me. And why this is important is because the God of the universe is extending this invitation to you and me here tonight. It is an invitation By the God who made you, formed you, knew you in your mother's womb, loves you more than we could ever possibly know or understand, and he's saying, come to me. It's a powerful invitation, and when deeply looked at, it reveals the unfailing love and the undeserved grace of our God. And to fully grasp the weight of what is being extended here to us in this verse, we need to go back to the beginning of man's relationship with God. So if you will, turn to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to be turning a lot in our Bible tonight. And I'm sorry I didn't put, um, I didn't give verses to put on the screen because I was too lazy and there's a lot of other things going on. And honestly, it helps us all learn how to use our Bible and dive deep into it. So, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And as you go about the account in Genesis, God gets to uh, creating man in his own image. In chapter 1, verse 26 through 31, it says, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us, They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. And so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, Look, I have given you every seed bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. And I have given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, and the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life, and that is what happened. Then God looked over all he had made and he saw that it was very good. And evening passed and morning came, marking the sixth day. This was our beginning, it was perfect. Man dwelt in the garden with God, had complete fellowship with the Lord, untainted by sin, evil, darkness, sickness, death. Uh, I'm not going down there. I'm not going to go off my notes. Never mind. It was untainted. It was perfect. Have you ever wondered why did God create us? Like why did he create anything? But why did God create us? Put it simply, in Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, it says, You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and they exist because you created what you pleased. God created us because it pleased him. He didn't need to make us. He wasn't lonely. If we were never created or we ceased to exist this very moment, God would still be God. God. He would still be the same. He would continue on. Colossians 1.16 says that everything was created through him and for him. But us being created for God's pleasure wasn't because God was bored. It wasn't because he was lonely. It wasn't because he was looking for us to be his little entertainment monkeys to dance around with a symbol. It wasn't like he's just sitting there in infinite space being like, hmm, I'm going to make man because I just like want some fun and like they're going to entertain me. That wasn't wasn't why. You have to understand God's characteristics. God is a creative being. He created because it pleases him. If you're creative out there, if any of you are creative, whether it's artistically or or video or photo or music, whatever it is, it's pleasing to you to create things, isn't it? It's pleasing to me. makes me happy. I feel fulfilled in that kind of work. God's a creative being. It pleased him to create. God is also a personal being. It pleased him to create man who he could have a personal relationship with, which is where free will comes in. A lot of people ask, why'd you give us free will if you knew we were going to mess up, God? Because that's not love. If God made us as these robots, it's like, here you go, I made you, Billy, and you're going to love me. Turn on. And he flips the switch, and I'm on. I'm like, I love you, God. That's not love. If you're in a relationship with someone where you program them to love you and you hit a button, they're like, I love you. You're like, hey, watch this, guys. I love you. You're like, ah, she she loves me. It's like, man, I feel sorry for you. It's a robot. You need some help. That's not love. God created us because it pleased him. And he knew that us having a relationship with him would be pleasing to us. So that's what he did. He made us, and it was good, until we messed up. And he turned a couple chapters over to chapter 3. And you've heard this story. And if you haven't, here's a quick recap. Adam and Eve are there. God gave them commandments. He said, I've given everything to you, everything I've created here. This garden is yours. You're going to rule over everything. The one thing you can't do. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's the one thing. Just don't do that. And here in chapter 3, Eve is chilling by the tree. Why? That's a whole nother sermon. (laughs) The serpent shows up and starts questioning what God told her. Did God really say don't do this? Did God really say you're going to die if you eat from this? Is it really bad? You should try it. It looks good, right? She's like, yeah, it looks good. He's like, try it. She's like, okay. She eats it. Adam standing there. She's like, hey, look, I ate it. He's like, oh, well, I want some. Gives it, I'm paraphrasing. Okay, the Bible isn't this direct like this. But Adam eats, and it says, at that moment, their eyes were opened, and they were ashamed, and they realized we're naked. Sin entered the world at that very moment. Will you look now at Genesis chapter 3, verse... Eight he said, Toward evening they heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid themselves among the trees. And the Lord God called to Adam, Where are you? And he replied, I heard you, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. And as the chapter continues on, God gives out consequences for sin. There's consequences to man, there's consequences to woman, and there's consequences to the serpent. And he banishes them from the garden. He puts a flaming sword around the tree of life because they're worried. God's worried, hey, they have sin. They have knowledge of good and evil. If they eat from this tree of life, that's not going to be bueno. So out they go. And sin enters the world affecting man until until Christ comes to die. But what I wanna pause on here is in verse 10, Adam's response to God. He says, I heard you and I hid because I was afraid. This is the first time where fear enters the picture of man's relationship with God. Beforehand, you go two chapters back and man was dwelling with God in perfect fellowship, communion, walking about the garden, talking with him. There was no fear. There was no shame. There was no hiding from God. And because of sin, fear now enters into man's heart and his thoughts and these doubts start curating. And God's walking about calling out to Adam and Eve, his creation, who he loves. We just read he made them because it was pleasing to him. This relationship is pleasurable to God. And they're hiding from him because of their sin. They're afraid of God. We used to have a dog named Trinity. Um, She was a German shepherd. Ryan's laughing. (laughs) He knows her, remembers her. She was great. She was a great dog. We got her from the pound. She was about eight months old. And uh, when we got her, she had some scars. She was beaten up. Her previous owner abused her, and also had two pit bulls that attacked her. And so this poor little puppy, um, all she knew was abuse. And my dad picked her up and brought her home, and we were just kids, man, we loved on this dog. This dog was never gonna know anything but love from our family, and that's all she did know. But because of those eight months of abuse from her previous owner and those other dogs, um, she struggled her entire life being afraid of us and other, uh, other friends and family that would come over. You'd go to pet her or go to give her a hug or just like pick her up and she would cower. Every time she would cower, she'd hide. she Because she was afraid. That's all she knew. And we had to constantly, for her entire life, be reassuring her that she's safe with us, that we love her, that's okay. And we did that. By getting down to her level, I level with her. And rather than coming over her, we would put our hand under her head and lift her up. Raise her up, letting her know, hey, you're loved. It's okay. You're safe. It's going to be all right. And that's how we had to treat her for her entire life. If you approached her any other way or you forgot to get down on her level and come down under her head and you came over her just going to pet her head, she'd cower. And as I was thinking about this today, that's very much our story with God. You see, it's because of sin that we have um, fears entered in to our hearts and our minds to where we're afraid of God. We're afraid of relationship with him. We're afraid of this invitation where he says, come to me, talk with me, seek me. We go, oh, I, I can't, I can't, I'm scared. Because he's a holy God and we're sinful beings. And holiness and sin don't mix well. <laughs> But as I was thinking about that, just that story of my, my dog, it was um, it ministered to me because that's what Christ did for us. He stooped down to our level to pick us up, love on us, and show us, hey, you're loved. I love you. And maybe that's a word for one of you guys tonight. I think it's just a healthy reminder for myself. You know, we hear this all the time. God loves you. And we become um, dull to that. Sadly, it's the most powerful truth in the entire universe is that God loves you and we so often, I so often, I'll speak for myself, take that for granted. But God loves you. He showed it through his son. He shows it every day just by his grace, the breath we have in our lungs. He loves you. Anyways, as we continue... Looking at sin and the effect of sin on man's relationship with God as you read through the Bible, um, the Old Testament, even into um, the New Testament. There's so many times where throughout God's word, God confronts man and man's response is fear. Um, whether it's God himself confronting man or an angel of the Lord confronting man, the first thing they're usually saying to man is do not be afraid. Why? Because they're afraid. Yeah. In Exodus, turn to Exodus. Let's go to Exodus chapter 20. This is a good one. It's powerful. So just to give some context to what we're going to read here, we're going to look at, Um, chapter 20, verse 18 through 21. Um, God was using Moses as a mediator to speak to his people, the Israelites. Um, And he tells them, hey, gather everyone around, purify themselves. Um, I'm coming down on the mountain and I'm going to speak to you all. And uh, he comes down on the mountain, there's thunder, there's clouds, there's lightning, there's smoke. There's, it's this crazy scene where it's like, if it was a movie, you'd be like, oh my gosh, this is like the end of the world kind of stuff. So God comes down on this mountain and he's speaking to the people. And in verse 18, it says, When the people heard the thunder and the loud blast of the horn, and when they saw the lightning and the smoke billowing from the mountain, they stood at a distance, trembling with fear. And they said to Moses, you tell us what God says, and we will listen. But don't let God speak directly to us, because if he does, we will die. Don't be afraid, Moses said, for God has come in this way to show you his awesome power. From now on, let your fear of him keep you from sinning. As the people stood in the distance, Moses entered into the deep darkness where God was. I point this out because it's a really sad um, contrast to where man's relationship with God had fallen to. You look back at Genesis, and man is walking with God, communing with him, talking to him, and they're delighted in that. You flash forward, you let sin take its toll, and sever the relationship between man and God, and here God is coming down this mountain to speak to his people, and they're terrified. In fact, they're begging Moses, you speak to God and tell us what he says because we can't hear his voice. The sound of his holy voice is too much for us. We're going to die if we keep listening to this. So please, you intercede for us, which is really cool because Moses is like this archetype for Jesus and that's a whole another thing. But as you continue on, it's because of sin that God had to appoint high priests to go into the Holy of Holies to offer sacrifices for the people. And I point all this out because when you study this and you look through the Old Testament, you see just how much our sin has depraved mankind and how much that's affected our relationship with the living God. But praise God that today, this isn't our current circumstance. That because of Jesus, we have this blessed invitation that we just read in Psalm 27, that the Israelites did not really have prior to Christ's crucifixion and his resurrection. We have this blessed invite from the Lord to come and talk with him, to seek his face. And that's all because of Jesus. In Hebrews 9, Verse 24, it says, So Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. He has entered that greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not part of this created world. With his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. And again, in Hebrews chapter 4, 16, it says, So... Let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. What did I just read? Basically what Hebrews is saying, what the writer of Hebrews is saying, is Jesus became our high priest. This system that God set up in the Old Testament with his people, the Israelites, of, hey, there needs to be blood sacrifices. You need high priests to go in and intercede for you to make things right between us and the people. It was all pointing to Jesus. Sorry. It was all pointing to Jesus and the work he was going to do for us on our behalf. Christ came as our high priest, entered into the most holy of holies that was not made by human hands but was made in heaven, shed his blood for us on the cross, rose again, is seated on the throne, ruling and reigning, interceding for us. That's our high priest. Not man, not man's works, not man's temple, not the blood of animals, the blood of God. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And because of Jesus, we can now come boldly to the throne of grace. We don't have to be afraid. So when God sends out this invitation to us and says, come to me, seek my face, come and talk with me. Because of Christ, we no longer have to let the effect of sin rule us with fear and keep us from responding to that call. Because of Jesus, we can be bold and confident Even when fears rise up, even when doubts creep in, even when you go, I'm too bad of a person. I sinned this week. How can I go to church? I just messed up the other night. Why am I here sitting in here right now? I can't really worship to this song. I've been a sinner all day. I was just swearing on the road while I was driving down here because someone cut me off. I have no idea. I have no idea. But what I do know is that we don't come to God on our own merit. You don't come to God on your own merit. Yeah. This invite from the Lord isn't, hey, come to me, because you've been good this week. Yeah. Hey, seek my face, because like, I like what you're doing, and like, you prayed yesterday, and you read your Bible, and so like, come and hang out with me. That's not God's heart. That's not the way our relationship works with him. We get to come boldly to him and enter into his holy presence because of Jesus, because his righteousness is bestowed upon you and me by faith, and that's what God sees. I'm getting sidetracked here, but the Bible says that your own righteousness, my own righteousness is filthy, dirty rags. So whatever you came in with tonight, if you were thinking like, man, I'm a good person, or you start going on like the streak where you're like, oh yeah, man, I've been a good Christian. I read my Bible, I got my Bible streak going on, my app. Woo! God says, that's that's great, but if you're counting that as like your righteousness, it's filthy. It's filthy rags. That doesn't that doesn't do anything. You need the blood of Jesus, you need his righteousness. It's just his grace. Do you guys see, as I talk about this, why this invitation from Psalm 27, verse 8, is so powerful? In recap of this quick summary of our relationship with God, it's powerful because God made us. We ruined that relationship. We can never fix it. Only God can, and he did. And then he still extends the invite to us because he loves us that much. Do you see how it's just a, a glimpse of how powerful, how miraculous and wonderful his love is for you and me? His grace that's undeserved, that's all it is. It just comes down to his grace. You and I can never earn it. We can never deserve it. It's just his grace. So who then is this invitation for? Now we're really going to start turning our, our Bible pages. It's going to get good for everyone. God invites us all to draw near to him. The gospel is for everyone. John 3:16. what does it say? <laughs> <laughs> wow, that was, that was really sad. <laughs> it's like the most unhappy group. Listen to this. God so loved the world. That's you, that's me, that's everyone. That's the person you don't get along with. That's the person that has hurt you deeper than anyone ever could. That's the person on the news where you go, oh my gosh, what a wicked, evil wretch of a man or a woman. They need to go to hell. That's the world that God loved. And when you look at those people who do these heinous things or these evil things, you go, wow. You don't deserve God's love. Guess what? You and I are viewed in the same category as those people by a holy God. So consider this. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, so that everyone, you and me, and those people, where you go, how? Anyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Do you know what it says after that in verse 17? We do such a great job memorizing 316, but what, do we, what does verse 17 say? For God did not send his to condemn the world, but that through him the world may be saved. Exactly. Love it, let's go, Brandon. All right, snaps for you, bro. God did not send his his son into the world to condemn it, but that through him it might be saved. That's the whole reason Jesus came, that's his heart. So this invitation of come and talk with me, seek my face, one, it's for the sinner. Turn to James chapter four, James chapter 4, we're going to look at verse 7 through 10. It says, So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. This is a call to the sinner. This was a call to you and me before we came to Christ, and we were just living in sin and darkness. It was a call to humble yourselves. So when God extends that invite to the sinner of, hey, come and talk with me. Seek my face. It's... Humble yourself. Leave behind this sin, this lifestyle of darkness, these chains of bondage and slavery to death. Leave it. This jail, prison cell that you're living in, I've opened the door, walk out, come and talk with me. It's to the sinner. Number two, this invite is for the skeptic. down the verse. I just wrote it down, but it's, uh, I want to say it's John. Let's see. Let me check real quick. Let me check real fast. Sorry, guys. Hmm. It's one of the gospels and I forgot to write down (laughs) which gospel it was. That's okay. Whatever. It's for the skeptic. You guys have heard of Doubting Thomas. I wrote it down here, so I'll read it to you. In verse 24 of whatever gospel this is in, it says, now Thomas, also known as Didymus, Didymus, whatever, it's a weird name. We'll call him Thomas. One of the 12 was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. This is after Christ's resurrection. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. Just pause on that a bit. Here's this man who is one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. And the others have seen Christ after his resurrection and they're coming to him saying, "We've seen the Lord." And Thomas for whatever reason, whatever mindset he was in, wherever his heart was, is going, "I need to see him. Because I saw him crucified. I saw him beaten and bloodied and struck up on that cross and pierced in his side. I saw him die. You're telling me you saw him alive? And they call him Doubting Thomas because of his response here. He says, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were, I want to touch him. I don't want to just see it. I want to touch it. Like, that's how much this guy was doubting. It wasn't enough for him to even in his head as he's going through this scenario if Jesus were to show up to him and be like here I am Thomas he goes okay but I want to touch it and feel it know for myself that you you rose you're alive well a week later his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them and though the doors were locked Jesus came and stood among them and said peace be with you and then he said to Thomas put your finger here see my hands Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not yet seen, but have still believed. That's you and me. This passage ministers to me. Because God extends that invitation to the skeptic. And why it ministers to me is because I'd be lying if I told you there haven't been times throughout my life where I've been a doubting Thomas, where I've been a skeptic, where I've gone, God, are you you real? Do you love me? Are you here? Are you for me? Are you working all things out for good? Because it doesn't seem like it. Are you going to pull me through this storm because I've been in it for a long time? I'm a skeptic at times. This is encouraging because Jesus reaches out to the skeptics. He knew Thomas' heart. He knew Thomas's mind and his thoughts. He knew what Thomas was saying to the other disciples. And when he shows up, He goes straight to Thomas and says, here you go, Thomas. Touch, feel, take your hand. Here's my side. Now believe. It's beautiful. Number three, this invitation is for the broken. Turn to Mark chapter 9. <clears throat> Mark chapter 9 verse 14 says at the foot of the mountain they found a great crowd surrounding the other disciples as some teachers of religious law were arguing with them the crowd watched Jesus in awe as he came toward them and then they ran to greet him what is all these arguing about he asked and one of the men in the crowd spoke up and said teacher I brought my son for you to heal him He can't speak because he is possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever this evil spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground and makes him foam at the mouth and grind his teeth and become rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. And then Jesus said to them, you faithless people, how long must I be with you until you believe? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. And so they brought the boy. But when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion, and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was very small, the evil spirit often makes him fall into the fire or into water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us. Help us. Do something if you can. What do you mean, if I can? Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly replied, I do believe, but help me not to doubt. Some translations might say, I do believe, help my unbelief. When you read this, that might be confusing to you. How can you believe if you have unbelief? What do you mean you're, you believe if you're doubting? What? What I love about this is it's a very real scenario where you have this, this man who has gone to Jesus disciples trying to seek healing for his son who's been demonically possessed and this demon that's living within him is trying to kill his son his pride and joy I don't have a kid I don't think anyone of us young adults have a kid maybe I don't know but from people I know who do have kids their kids are their pride and joy It's everything to them so here's this man whose boy is possessed, and he can't do anything about it. He takes it to the church. He takes it to the disciples. He's just trying to seek some kind of help, and no one can do anything about it. His boy's been possessed for a long time, and this man is probably running out of hope. He's probably on fumes with hope. Things are looking very dismal. And over and over, he's seeing his son attempt to kill himself because of this demon in him. He's going, who can save my son? Where's Jesus? And Jesus shows up He brings the boy to him. And he's asking him, this, this desperate plea, desperate, because he's broken. It's, Jesus, please, if you can, if, if you can do anything, please save him. And Jesus asked him, "What do you mean if I can? Do you believe? Do you believe? All things are possible. Do you believe?" And he has this most honest, just heart response of, "I do believe. Help my unbelief. Help me not to doubt." And why I'm pointing this out is because I've been there too. There's many times where I've been broken. And my hope has been running on fumes. But I'm thankful that God is a God who invites me to come as I am to be real and have these honest, heartfelt moments with Him. Right, Lord, I believe in you. This is what your word says. I've got a lot of doubts in my head. Help my own belief. Please do this for me, Lord. I need it. I need your healing. I need your deliverance. I need your strength. And God is always faithful to respond. Always. We see it here. He does it. heals the boy. Verse four, or sorry, not verse four, but point four. This invitation is for the needy. Jesus said, come to me. All of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Do you need rest tonight? Do you need strength? Do you need peace? Jesus invites you. He says, come, talk with me. Seek my face. Find rest. I need that all the time. I'm thankful that Jesus says this, come to me, all you who are weary, take my yoke upon you. Do you guys know what a yoke is? It's for a bowl, yeah. Have you guys seen that on like farms and stuff where they like put like little, I don't know, carriage carts or whatever. And they put like the giant wooden thing around the bowls or the cows or whatever. And they're like, yeah, go. And they're like pulling this like big giant like thing behind them. I don't know, I'm doing a bad job. I'm not a farmer, but hopefully you get the image. You know? It's this beautiful imagery where Jesus is saying, hey, we've all got these yokes around our necks. We're all carrying some kind of burden. Some might feel it more than others. Yours might feel more heavier than someone else's tonight. Jesus is saying, hey, take my yoke upon you. Link yourself with me. Walk with me. Come to me. Let me carry this with you. Because my burden's light. Rest in me. And point five, this invitation is for the child of God. Jesus called a little child to him and placed the child among them. All these people are around. He said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Do you guys know what that means? Jesus calls us to become like children when we come to Him. Why? Think about it. When you were a kid, when I was a kid, oh my goodness, I had such an imagination when I was a kid. I uh, <laughs> this is my my ignorance of a child, but when I was a kid, I wanted to be Spider-Man so badly so badly, he was my favorite superhero, I thought he was so cool, that no joke, whatever, I was a kid, all right, I would pray, God, in my bed, I'd be in like my like, fire truck bed, <sighs> I'd be like, God, will you make me Spider-Man? I wanna wake up and have like Spider-Man powers, because I just, like, I just believed, I was like, God, like, you're God, you can do anything. Like, you can make me Spider-Man. I know it's you know fake and fictional, but like, you could give me superhero powers and I could like, go help people. Probably not in Orange County. Like, my you know, web-slinging abilities aren't gonna do me much good. I have to like, move to LA or New York City or something. But like, I had a plan at like six years old, Like God, make me Spider-Man. And that was my prayer. And I would wake up and I would literally like, wake up and the first thing I would do would be like, I'd be like, ah, all right, I'll pray tonight. <laughs> like, hope for the best. I share this silly story because God wants us to have that childlike faith with him. Not so that you can become Spider-Man or, or whatever, but having that childlike faith eliminates any of that fear that sin might bring up in your heart or your mind that says, you can't go to God. When you're a child, even when my parents were upset or I did something wrong. I was really blessed to have parents that that loved me and reflected Jesus to me. I know that's not everyone's story here tonight, but I did have parents that reflected God's love to me. And I could do something wrong. I could have gotten soap in my mouth because I said something bad, or I got a spank because I did something bad, and I'd be sad and like upset. (laughs) Like, ow! Why'd you do that? It was because I was being reprimanded and corrected. And then they could, like, call me to them and be like, come here, let me hug you, let me love you. And I would go to them and just fall in their embrace. That's how God is with us. That's his heart for us tonight. When you sin, when you mess up, if you feel like, man, I've blown it, or I've I've gone too far, or, man, look at my past. God isn't lording over you with his arms crossed, going like, bummer, you did it, I'm over it. He's bent down at our level saying, come. Come to me. Make yourself like a child. Have that childlike faith. Trust in God's love. Trust in Jesus. And so in closing, now that we've looked at this, how do we come to the Lord? How do we do this? How do we respond to this invite? Well, we come by faith in Christ. John fourteen six says, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. So if you're responding to that call, you come by faith. And secondly, we come as we are, honest and humble. It was like Bren was teaching just a couple weeks ago. Be honest with the Lord. He already knows it. So wherever you think you're going to be hiding from him or just not disclosing it. He already knows it. Let him have it. Give it to him. Psalm 145, 18 says, the Lord is close to all who call on him. Yes, to all who call on him in truth. It's an invitation of love and grace. As I close up, I just want to share one more story. I heard a pastor one time talk about... um, He did a sermon on Moses and the Israelites and was comparing it to the church today. And it's kind of applicable to what we're talking about tonight, so I'm going to share it. But he was talking about how back in Exodus and through the Old Testament, as Moses was the mediator for the Israelites between man and God, you know, they looked to Moses as God. They would look to Moses, they would listen to Moses, because he represented God. To the Israelites. What he said, this is from God. This is what we're going to do. That's not the relationship we have anymore with God because of Jesus, we just covered that. But still today, there are many in the church that don't step in to this relationship with God, but rather choose to look to the Moseses of today, whether it's your pastor or your worship leader or this Christian spokesperson. And you look to them for your help or your answers or your truth rather than just stepping into that relationship with Jesus on your own. That's why he came. Christ is our mediator to God. Christ is our high priest we have relationship, we have this opportunity, this blessed opportunity to have a personal relationship with the one who created you, loves you, died for you, saved you. And so in closing, Hebrews 3.15 says, remember what it says. Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. The invite... It's out there for you and me.